the Spirit, Lord. I know we can see the enemy. I know we can see this generation. I know we can see the world. I know we can see the troubles in the world. But God, I pray, open our eyes that we can see what's between us and the enemy. Lord, I don't want to look over your angelic presence to just see the devil. Open our eyes. Why don't you lay your hands on your eyes? Lord, open my eyes. Come on, let's spend some time in prayer here. I believe there's a spiritual work that God wants to do. God, open my eyes that I may see. God, open our eyes that we may see. Give us spiritual vision this morning. Let us see your work. And let us see your presence. Let us see your protection. Let us see your help, God. In the name of Jesus, help us to understand the value of spiritual vision. And the church said, amen. God bless you. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise and you can be seated. I was talking a few days ago with the young, what, who I consider a young man. He's a dad now. He's married and has children, but I still see him as a teenager, I think. I was laughing about Brother Austin and Brother Ethan. They're both, they both have families of their own. And my wife, when we talk about them, we still call them the boys. Not, not individually, they're just collectively the boys. I was talking to this young man the other day. And he made a comment about how soft young people in the world are. And I said, you know, the, the thing is that you're saying that now, but my generation said it about your generation when you were teenagers. That's just the nature of one generation to the next. The truth is, we like to talk about how weak and soft this modern culture is. And that's true in a whole lot of ways. Everyone in this generation wants to be offended about something. Everyone else wants someone else to baby them. You don't have to say amen, I know when I'm preaching the truth. The truth is, the mindset of this world is self-oriented. The church needs to be careful not to fall into the same mindset as the world. We are not sent to adopt the world's mindset. We are sent to change the world's mindset. We tend, unfortunately, to be very slow to rejoice and very quick to get discouraged. Too many Christians' default setting is to be sad and fearful and anxious and negative and melancholy and dark and gloomy and discouraged, depressed, unhappy. In the passage of Scripture, which we used as a text today, the king of Syria by the name of Ben-Hadad had begun a war with Israel. The name Ben-Hadad means son of Hadad. Hadad was an idol god, so-called, that the Syrians worshipped. The word Hadad in their language meant mighty. And so the name Ben-Hadad means the son of the mighty. Ben-Hadad would have been a cool name if it was true, but he was not the son of the mighty. Back a few years ago, there was a cancer researcher from China that had come to uh, do research at Ole Miss, and he was here for a year, and we happened to meet him and started to develop a friendship, had him to our house several times to eat, and we went to their house, and, and he started coming to church, raised, born and raised an atheist, a complete communist atheist, and he came to church, we, we were feeding students and and uh, internationals at the university, and he 
he came and because we fed him, he felt like he owed it to us to come to church even though he was an atheist. He appreciated the friendship. And so he came to church on a Sunday night and we went over to the house and ate afterwards. The next week he had, he, he apologized. He said, uh, he was difficult to understand. He said, Pastor, I'm sorry I can't come to church next Sunday night. I've been invited to a birthday party and I feel like I need to go because they invited me. I said, okay, that's fine. And so about 20 minutes into church, here he comes with his wife and child walking in. He said, Pastor, I got lost looking for the birthday party, so I think God wanted me to be at church. <laughs> to make a long story short, while he was here, he, uh, he began, he went from being an atheist to being a believer and he typed me an email while he was at the Detroit airport waiting on his connection to China. And he talked about how when he came, he did not believe in God, but now he knows that Jesus is alive. Thank God for that. Amen. I wanted to tell that part, but the, the real part of the story is, you know, his, his, you, can't, you can't really say their name. His name is, I, I, I can't say it. And so when they come, they usually adopt an American name. Like there was a girl from South Korea that came to church, and she changed her name from whatever it was to, uh, to Lucy. Wasn't that what she called her, Lucy? And this other guy, his name was, I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, he changed it to Peter, a name that we could understand. And so when, when the researcher had to pick an American name, he picked the name Dragon. I'm like, that's awesome. If I ever get to pick my own name, it's not going to be John. He picked the name Dragon. And so I asked him why he picked the name Dragon, and he said because that's what his name in Chinese means. And so he, he was a dragon. But Ben-Hadad was not the son of the mighty. That might have been what they called him, but his father was not the mighty. It would, he was a false idol god of the Syrians that was not mighty at all. Ben-Hadab may have worshipped this idol, but that idol was not really mighty. He might have called himself that, but that's not what he was. Can I tell you, this world is in a rush to worship things that have no real ability or power. They invest their time, money, and emotions in things that don't produce victory. Amen. They invest their life and their time and their effort in things that by the time it's all over, they're not any better, they're not any happier, they're not any closer to God. They have invested and wasted their time serving something that cannot do anything back for them in favor. <coughs> the world needs to consider the fact that the enemy of their soul is, to, is attempting to divert them away from what God's purpose is in their life. All these things are an attack against God's people by their, by their eternal enemy. It's remarkable that we read the book of 2 Kings and the events of this particular story that took place 2,800 years ago. Syria, 2,800 years ago, hated Israel and wanted to destroy the nation and enslave God's people. And here we are 28 years later. And Syria still hates Israel and wants to destroy her. Some things change, but some things never change. The enemies of God are always going to hate God's people and God's church. If we're waiting to be loved by the devil, it's never going to happen. Amen. And so 2 Kings 6 and 8 says that the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. Benadad gets his army leaders together, his generals, his leaders, and he goes over the war plan, and he tells them in such and such a place is where we are going to camp. And then he gets frustrated by the results. 2 Kings chapter number 6, verses 9 and 10. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel 
saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Every time the enemy set up an attack, God would speak to Elisha, the prophet, and he would inform the king of Israel about where the enemy was and where the army needed to be. The Bible said, not once nor twice. It was such a regular occurrence that the king of Syria thought that he had a traitor among his generals. One of his servants told the king, there's not a traitor in your camp. There's a prophet of God over in Israel that tells the king of Israel the things that you say in your bedchamber. The bedchamber of the king was a place that no one could enter without being bidden. A death sentence would come on anyone who went into the king's bedchamber uninvited. And when the servant told the king that the prophet of God can hear what you're saying in your bedchamber, what he really was telling the king, that no matter where you are, God knows exactly what you're up to. Amen. And so Benadad realized that he could not defeat God's people as long as they listened to the man of God. As long as they heeded the word that came from the Lord through the man of God, Israel could not be defeated by the Syrians. And so Benadad changed his strategy. Instead of mobilizing his army against the army of Israel, he mobilizes his army against the prophet of God. Verse number 14. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. When God spoke and the people listened to the man of God, the enemy could not defeat them. And so the enemy realizes, I've got to silence the voice of the man of God in the ear of Israel. When God spoke, the man of God spoke what God told him. And when the people did it, God delivered them. In these modern days, the role of the man of God has been diminished. There was a time when the preacher was the most respected man in the county. But the enemy has mobilized his forces to silence the, in, the, the influence of the prophet. There was a time when people did what the man of God said because he was the man of God and they believed he heard from God. But this modern generation does whatever they want often regardless of the counsel of the pastor. Amen. I had someone last week, they had asked me a couple of weeks ago some advice on something, Bishop, and they did the exact opposite of what I, of what I advised them to do. And so last week they came to me and said, Pastor, when can I get some advice from you? I said, when you do the advice I told you last week. Until then, I'm not talking to you anymore. And they still hadn't done it, and I still hadn't talked to them. This modern generation is going to do whatever they want to do, it seems like. But Ben-Hadad knew that the only way I can stop God's people is to silence the voice of the man of God in their ear. If they can't hear from God, then I can defeat them. But as long as they obey the word of God as it's preached to them by the prophet of God, then I can't do anything to stop their advance and to under, undercut them. He could get a few strays here and there. He could leap, capture some here and there. But to truly defeat the people of God, he had to capture the man of God and silence his influence. Benadad heard. That Elisha was in Dothan. So he sent his army to the little village of Dothan. Dothan was a place where years before, generations before, in the book of Genesis, Jacob had a sheepfold. His sons kept his sheep in Dothan. And it was there that Joseph, the dreamer, the son of Jacob, 
that God spoke to in dreams went to his brothers in Dothan to meet them. And because they didn't like the word that Joseph spoke, they didn't like the vision that God gave him, they took Joseph and sold him to the Ishmaelites in Dothan. There was something about this particular place, Dothan. If I lived in Dothan, Alabama, I'd pack up right now and move to Mississippi. If you're watching from Dothan, get a U-Haul. You better get here. And please don't sue me, Dothan, Alabama. But Dothan was a place where the voice of, the, of Jacob, of Joseph rather, was silenced. They didn't like his vision. They didn't like his dream. They didn't like what he spoke. So they thought, if I can get rid of him, I can get rid of the word of God. But just because you silenced the voice of the man of God in your life doesn't mean that it takes away the promise of the word of God. Amen. I promise you, you don't have to do what I say. There's no law that says you have to do what I say. But I promise you that when I've heard from God, you do well to listen to the word of God because the enemy wants to silence the voice of the man of God in your life. Even going back 5,000 years at Dothan, it was a place where the enemy wanted to quiet the voice of God. <clears throat> and so at the same place where Joseph was sold into the slavery of the Ishmaelites, Ben-Hadad mobilizes an army to stop one man of God who knew how to hear from the Lord. When, when Ben-Hadad left Syria, Brother Reggie, he thought he had enough soldiers to overcome an entire army. He brought with him enough chariots, enough horses, enough soldiers to overcome the entire army of Israel. But now he is so concerned that he sends the entire army to Dothan to surround the entire city just for one man. He mobilizes his army against Elisha, the servant of the Lord. Elisha had a young man that assisted him, served him is what the Bible says. He helped him with the ministry. I'm, a guess, I'm guessing that by this time, Elisha had aged to a certain point. Tasks that he used to do for Elijah, now he needs somebody to do for him. And as we know, this young man was healthy. He had two good eyes that could see perfectly fine in the natural sense. Here's what the Bible says about the servant. 2 Kings 6 and 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early, if I was going to be cantankerous and a grumpy old man, I'd preach about sleeping in too late right there. But I'm not in the mood to be cantankerous and grumpy this morning. So far. And when the servant of the man, I guess I thought some of you early risers would say amen there. That was weak. Y'all been awake too long. You should have got a nap around 9 o'clock. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servants said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? If you, if you think about this passage of Scripture, when the young man went to bed the night before, everything was okay. But in the night, in one night it turned around to the point that when he looks up the next morning, he is completely hopeless and despondent. Something had changed so quickly. His vision brought to him a change. The things that he saw in the natural changed his attitude and his perspective and his faith in just a few moments of time. In one night, his whole spiritual perspective turned around. The day before, everything was great. Elisha's hearing from God. God's people are delivered. God's moving. God's saving Israel. But in one night, it changes to where his entire perspective is now totally different. He says to Elisha, Alas, my master, how shall we do? How are we going to make it? How are we going to survive? How are we going to get by? What are we going to do 
There's no way we can win. There's no hope for us. Just in a moment, everything from his attitude changed completely. He looked around the city and saw the horses and the chariots and the army of the enemy and instantly his faith was gone. It made sense. The enemy sent enough soldiers to take over a whole city, but they didn't want the whole city. They only wanted one man to quit hearing from God. It ought to tell us something, that if one man can hear from God and it scares the devil that much to send an army against him, then when God's word comes into our lives, there's power to change everything. I'm going to tell you, the devil doesn't want you to hear preaching this morning. He wants you to be concerned about lunch. He wants you to think about the fishing hole. He wants you to be concerned about everything else. He does not want you to hear the word of the Lord today because the devil knows if God's word gets in your spirit that he cannot keep you. Plans that he concocted deep in the bowels of hell can be spoken by the word of God in just a moment and bring deliverance to God's people. The enemy knows the power of God's word. It frightens the enemy to think that you could hear something from God today that would give you hope and faith and deliverance and power and victory and revival. The devil knows that all it takes is one sermon to turn your life around. That one experience in the Holy Ghost can change everything. I've seen it happen I've seen it happen. I've watched people walk that aisle that came out of every kind of sin you could imagine. And in a moment of time, one sermon changed everything. I watched it happen in my own life. Man, I was a rebellious teenager. You, you young folks that are here, and I know you, there's, they're, they're scattered throughout. A lot of them you don't see because they're working in the, in the sound booth and on cameras and in, and in the Sunday school and they're all over the place. But I want to tell all you young folks something. You need to be thankful that you got a young, a youth group that loves to worship and praise God and come to church and live for God. You ought to thank God for it. Moms and dads, you ought to thank God for it. When I was growing up, none of our young people, it seemed like, were wanting to live for God. We'd show up to church because we had to. Our moms and dads made us. We weren't really excited about it. We weren't really, to be honest with you, I went because there were girls at the church. Amen. Nowadays, that's something else you worry about if they're coming for the girls. Well, is that too politically incorrect for you or is that all right? If you don't say amen, I might think you got a problem. That's why I went. Service after service went by. We weren't concerned about it. We, we lived, now, now you young folks, don't get scared, okay? But we lived in the days that when we acted up in church, sitting by our friends, somebody from across the church would come and sit down between us and quiet us down. And, and my mom didn't get mad at them. And I remember one service. I shouldn't say this in front of my daughters. They're going to use it against me. One service, me and my buddy, we were, we, 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 we were playing a game. We were flipping a coin, and we had a stack of something. And whoever won heads or tails got to pick them at the end. At the, we, we, whoever had the most won. We didn't win anything. We just weren't paying attention. We were goofing off. And the piano player, her name was, was, was uh, Lori Frere. I had to, is that what her name? See, I forgot. She was playing the piano, and, and I wasn't paying any attention. But the next thing I knew, she was, the music was still going on, and she was sitting right beside me and my friend. And I was embarrassed. She had come all the way. She had apparently watched us from all the way up on the platform, had come down and walked around and sat between us. Man, if somebody did that these days, we'd have World War III because the parent would be mad at the piano player, not their rebellious kid. Maybe I do have a little bit of that cantankerousness in me this morning. 
But you know what? The two boys that she sat down between are both pastors of churches now. Maybe we learned a lesson that day that there's something valuable about the presence of God and it's not something to play with. It's not something to ignore. But something needs to happen when God's word is being spoken. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. And so... The, 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 but I didn't have that youth group that we were all excited about living for God. It took a major blow up to happen in our youth group to finally get our attention and get us to live for God. You ought to be thankful that you've got other young people that want to serve God with you and praise God. But I remember, Bishop Wilson, I remember the service. I was far from God. I was only at church because I had to be at church. I was only there as a teenager because I just had to be there and I didn't really have a choice. Let me just go ahead and say this. Your kids ought to not have a choice if they come to church or not. You get them here. At some point, God will honor your faithfulness and tenacity and get a hold of their heart. Praise God. Somebody ought to be shouting right now. Amen. Get them to the house of God where something can happen. We had, we, had this, we had this preacher preaching revival for us. To be honest with you, he tried too hard to be cool. He, 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 he'd play the guitar and make up songs, and, and he, he thought he was, he, you know, he tried too hard to, he, he was older, but he tried to be, to be younger, and there's nothing worse than somebody that doesn't act their age. Amen. There's not much worse than a 60-year-old in a miniskirt. Dear God. I didn't think I had that in me this morning. I thought I was just all nice and sweet and honey this morning, but I didn't realize down underneath there's some stirred up stuff. He tried so hard to be cool, and he just kind of came across as corny and goofy. He preached a message about unity that, that Sunday, and uh, I don't know, I don't really know why I even remember that. But he made us all come to the altar. And so we, everybody had to come to the altar. So we came and the, this was the front pew of the, of the altar area. And since he said come to the altar, I came to the altar and backed up to the back of my, I was like making a statement. I came, but I came, I came as far back as I could. And I was just standing there trying to ignore the presence of God, just kind of passing time because I had to be there. And I stood there, and people were praying, and people were seeking God, and people were talking to God. I didn't have plans to change. When I got up that morning and came to church, I didn't have plans to change. I didn't have plans for my life to turn around. I didn't have plans to repent. I didn't have plans to feel God. I went to church because that's what I did, but there was no plan for God to do something. But in that one service, one sermon, one moment of time, everything in my entire life changed and turned around. I'm telling you, the devil knows the value. The devil knows the value of one service and one sermon and one moment in the presence of God. The devil knows what can happen when the word of God is spoken. That's why the enemy wants you to tune it out right now. He wants you to think it doesn't matter, but you gotta hear my voice today. It can bring deliverance in a moment. It was that moment that God radically changed my life. One service. God knows the power of his word. The devil knows the power of God's word. The only one that sometimes forget is us. Amen. I'll tell you how much I believe when God speaks to a man of God. My wife does most of the mowing now because she likes to do it. She gets her tan out on the mower. And so I let her mow if she wants to mow as long as she's not wrapping the mower up in swing sets again. I still, that's just a, that's a miracle. How she did it, I don't know. But that's beside the point. I'm, I'm sidetracked. I got to get focused. But when I mow, I don't want to listen to sports, and I don't want to listen to music. I want to listen to preaching. And so I'll download sermons 
and I'll put my headphones on. And I'll, I'll be riding the mower out there, listening to sermons. And if the preacher says, lift your hand, I'll steer with one hand, and I'll lift a hand. But if he says, lift your hands, this is how much I believe in the power of the spoken word through a man of God. If he says, lift your hands, I'll open those, those uh, zero turn bars, I'll lift both hands. Because I understand that something is released when a man speaks under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. So if you ever drive by and you see me on a lawnmower with my hands up, you know the preacher said, lift your hands. You say, well, that's just a bunch of foolishness. You, you do that, but I know one thing. My life has been blessed by God. I've seen God work miracles. I've seen God do stuff, and I believe, I believe, and the devil believes because he sent an entire army to shut up one man of God. you got to understand. you got to learn to value the voice of your pastor as much as the devil values the voice of your pastor. You got to value the preaching of the word of God as much as the devil values it. He knows it's so powerful that he wants to do whatever he can to stop it. Oh, somebody ought to lift your hand and say, God, let this word get in my spirit. I don't preach this kind of stuff a lot because it sounds self-serving because I'm the pastor. But I'm telling you, it releases something when you let the word of God, when you let the word of God fall on your spirit like a seed, it releases a harvest in your life. And so the enemy sends an entire army. To stop one voice. When the word comes, it terrifies the devil. I said, when the word comes, it terrifies the devil. When I preach deliverance, it frightens every spirit of addiction that's in this room hanging on somebody's life. When I preach joy, it frustrates every spirit of depression that wants to latch hold on somebody's mind. When we preach the peace of God, it frustrates every spirit of anxiety that's trying to twist your mind up. When we preach holiness, it frustrates every spirit of worldliness that wants to latch on to your children. And young, you need to value the word of God as much as the devil values it. trembles, he trembles, he trembles because he understands the value even in my bedchamber even in my bedchamber I can't say anything that God doesn't start to reveal through the preaching of the word of God have you ever done it? I had somebody tell me the other day, pastor I didn't know you had microphones in my house I guess it was two weeks ago, two weeks ago Sunday morning, somebody they said, Pastor, I didn't know you had microphones in my house. I didn't know you'd been listening to my conversations because you preached about everything that I've been thinking about for the last two weeks. I'm telling you, I didn't know one thing about it, but God knows that's in the power of the Word of God, and that's why it's so powerful because there's not a thing the devil can design against you that if you'll let the Word of God work, it'll save you and deliver you. Oh, somebody ought to lift your hands and say, praise God. The entrance of your word. I, I'm, I'm way off target, but I feel what I'm preaching right now. The entrance of your word, God gives life. There's power in the word of God. By the worlds were framed by the word of God. Do you know that if you'll let the word of God speak to you, it'll build the word framed is to build, it's to structure. The worlds were framed by the word of God, and your life can be framed by God's word. As God sends the word, He'll reconstruct, He'll reconstruct your life, He'll reconstruct your He'll reconstruct your future. It's the power of the word. By faith, we know that the worlds were framed by the word of God. You know why you're, you're here now and you're not in the bar room? You know why you're on a pew and not in a jail cell? You know why you're here with your wife instead of in divorce court? Because the word of God framed your life. And the word will work. The word will work. The word will work. 
Woo, somebody ought to praise God. I feel the presence of the Lord here. I've come to tell you when God speaks a word over this pulpit, whether it's for me or Bishop or anybody else, when the word of God is preached, you need to latch on to it and say, that's mine, that's mine. That's I claim it for my children. I claim it for my boy. I claim it for my daughter. I claim it for my family. I claim it for my father. I claim the word. Right now, the enemy's trying to silence my voice in somebody's ear, but you need to say, get away, devil. That's my word. Every word of God is quick. It means it's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. There's something powerful. Thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against against thee. The entrance of the word, God, when you send your word, faith, Cometh by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. That's why the enemy doesn't want you to hear. Because faith comes. There's some things you'll never latch on to unless you hear it preached to you. But when faith, when hearing comes, when you really hear, then faith begins to come. And when faith comes, it moves mountains. Lift your hands right now. Somebody in this very room right now. Hear me, the spirit of prophecy is on me right now. Somebody in this room right now, the devil has whispered in your ear that this message is not for you that your life is too broken, that this won't work for you. It'll work for others, but it won't work for you. But I'm telling you, God sent this word for you. Faith comes by here. You hear what I said. God's going to turn your life around. You hear what this preacher's saying right now. I don't care if the devil likes it or not. I'm going to tell you anyway. God's going to turn your life around. The word of God is going to reframe your life and change everything. When God spoke over a chaotic creation, every time he spoke, order came, order came, order came. And if you'll let the word of God speak in your life, every time God speaks, it'll put another area of your heart, of your life, of your mind, of your family back into alignment and order with him. By the word of God, lift your hands all over this place. There's a spirit of the Lord moving here right now. God's wanting somebody to let this seed get in your spirit, the seed of the word, to bring forth a harvest in your life. The enemy mobilized everything he could to stop the voice of the man of God from reaching the ear of the people. So he mobilizes his army. everything he can to bear against the people of God to stop the voice of the prophet I'm going to try to do a quick work I'm going to try to finish in five minutes that means you guys got to move quick I need some I need some enemies I need some enemies you got to move quick thank you thank you for being a fast enemy I need more enemies I need more enemies I need a lot of enemies come on enemies fast Hey, if y'all get home late, it's their fault, not mine. Please. They surrounded. They surrounded. Come on, Lord. The enemy came. Back up, Lord. Spread out just a little bit more. And when the guy woke up, he looked and he said, Oh, alas, my master, what shall we do? Look at the horses and the chariots of the enemy. What? Look. Just, just, just yesterday, everything the prophet spoke brought deliverance. And now here, all I see are all these Syrians everywhere. Trying to destroy. Trying to kill the voice of the man of God in my life. The prophet didn't step out and say, oh, you're right. It's all over. Let's close the church. Go to McDonald's. Give up. Just stop. 
He said, Lord, open this young man's eyes that he may see. Because he could see the Syrian archer and the Syrian chariot and the Syrian swordsman and the Syrians, what are you? Archer, okay. He can see all the Syrian, but his eyes are perfectly fine. He can look all around and see everything the enemy's doing. He can see everything that the enemy's trying to do. And so the Lord says, or the prophet says, God, open his eyes that he can see. And just like that, I'll take slow help. Come on, on, Michael. Good Lord. You're fast. Come on, JC. We need some girl help. But listen, if you're going to get help, get help that's on fire. Come on, Bishop. You're not a Syrian. The Bible said that when he prayed for his eyes to open. See, the enemy had chariots and horses. The Bible said that when God opened his eyes, that he had chariots. But these chariots were different than the enemy's chariots. These chariots are on fire. And the servant, it's starting to sink in. It's starting to sink in. The problem with the servant was he was looking over the top of God to see the enemy. He was looking through the army of the angels of God to see the enemy. But when God touched his eyes, his spiritual vision kicked in. And now I can't even see the enemy anymore because all I see is the chariots of fire surrounding me. What I'm preaching about is the value of spiritual vision. God opened my eyes so I don't just see my addiction and my financial problem and my my marriage problem. God, help me to see beyond my past and my failures and what I've suffered and what I've been through. And let me look beyond my marriage issues and my family issues. And let me look beyond. Let let me get in the middle of what you're doing, God. And right in the middle where the fire is and open his eyes. God, I'm praying, help us to have spiritual vision. God, I want everybody to know no matter what you're going through, you are surrounded by the angels of God today. You're surrounded by the hand of God today. You're surrounded by the work of God today. God, touch my eyes. I can do this. I can make it. I can make it. God's got me right in the middle of his plan. Somebody ought to stand to their feet and lift their hand and say, God, open my eyes. Come on, I'm closing. This is it. I preached too long already. You ought to just stand and touch your eyes and say, God, open my eyes. I've been so focused on my problems. I've been so focused on my past. I've been so focused on what the enemy's doing. I've let what the enemy's doing take all of my vision. I've let it fill my mind and my heart to the point that I've lost all the faith that I used to have. Now all I can say is, what am I going to do, God? What am I going to do? I've let my issues cause me just to be, to be overwhelmed by life. Alas, Master, what? How shall we do? How am I going to make it through this? How am I going to survive what the enemy's trying to do against me? Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And immediately, immediately, 
saw the work of God between him and the enemy. Can I tell you that if all you can see is what's against you, you need spiritual vision. Because there's a host of heaven between you and your enemy. Oh, come on, lift your hands all over this place. I've come to preach. I've come to preach to the one that feels like you're at the end of your hope. I've come to preach to the one that has wondered just recently, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Maybe you haven't verbalized it because you've got too much fear of God to say it. But in your mind, you've wondered, God, I don't know. I don't know if you can help me. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I'm coming to to pray the prayer that Elisha prayed over the servant. Look, before we throw the servant under the bus, let me tell you, the servant loved God. The servant loved the work of God. The servant loved the word of God. The servant was with Elisha. He wasn't against Elisha. He was with Elisha. But even a servant can lose faith when their vision gets too natural and not enough spiritual. Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, there's men and women young people in this room today that love you that honor you that love your word but God their vision has become overly focused on the enemy their vision has become overly focused on what the devil's doing Because of that, they do not see that you've got them surrounded already. Elisha's prayer didn't call angels down. Elisha's prayer only revealed the angels that were already there. Elisha didn't pray, God, send your angels to help. He said, God, just open his eyes that he can see what you've already done to protect us tell you the price has already been paid the work's already been done so as we all just one more time I know you're humoring me it's just a little silly physical act but it's some way hopefully to impact it in your mind I want you to put your hand on your eyes and I want you to say Lord open my eyes not my natural eyes but my spiritual eyes open my eyes that I can see that if it hadn't been for you here all along, I would have already been destroyed. If it wouldn't have been for you, I already would be gone. But God, you made a way. So God, just let me see. (laughs) Open my eyes that I can see that you've been working on my behalf the whole time. That there was never a moment that you didn't have me surrounded, Lord. There was never a time that I was ever really in danger because you've had me in the palm of your hand through all of my trial and through all of my trouble and through all of my weariness. Come on, this is your word today. If I preach to you, it doesn't matter what your condition is. If I preach to you, I want you to make your way towards the altar. I don't even care if you do like I did and put your back legs against the front pew. Just make your way up here. If I preach to you at all, you ought to come on, step out and get close. You ought to get as close as you can, but y'all take anything I can get. It's a matter of spiritual vision. God, open my eyes that I can see. Come on, God's got hope. God's got hope in this place. God's got help for somebody here. Now reach over and start praying for somebody close to you. And just begin to ask God to open their eyes that they can see.
You are not in this by yourself. There's more that be with us than be with them. God, strengthen your people. Open our eyes. Come on, you got to see the Lord is with you. God is for you. They sang it before. God is for you. Beside you, all around you, and with. 
Amen. What a word this morning. If we could see with spiritual vision, things that we struggle with in life wouldn't seem near as big to us because we know God's on our side. We can look past the anxiety, look past the depression, look past the addiction, know that God's on our side. Thank you, Lord. I pray, God, that we all have spiritual vision and see what you have for us, Lord Jesus. That, that your angels surround us, Lord God. Hallelujah. I pray, God, that you would be with your people this morning, God, as we go our separate ways, Lord Jesus. Amen, amen. Let's remember we have meet and greet for all new people. Uh, if you're a guest this morning, maybe first, second time, third, fourth time, come and meet the, uh, the leadership of the church back through the prayer room, the door on the right. They have food and fellowship. We'd love to meet one another. Remember tonight, prayer at 6, church at 6.30. Come back ready to receive something from the Lord. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus.